0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 68 of the IoT for All podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Chacon, and today's guest is Eric Walenza-Slave, the CEO of IoT One. He joins me today to talk about the long-term effects of COVID-19 on the IoT space. To give you a little background, Eric, he has spent the last decade in China supporting IoT initiatives and helping to build Shanghai's startup community. Besides his position as CEO of IoT One, Eric is also the co-chair of American Chamber of Commerce Technology and Innovation Committee and is the director of Shanghai Startup grind chapter. For those of you unfamiliar with IoT1, they're an advisory firm focused on industrial digitalization. They help companies understand how IoT would impact their business and they work with them to help realize opportunities and manage threats. I really enjoyed this conversation with Eric. I hope you all will too. So, without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Eric Melenza Slave, the CEO of IoT1. Welcome Eric to the IoT for All show. How are things going on your end so far this week?
1: Oh, very good, actually. It's been, uh, let's say, perhaps the first good week in, in, uh, in a few months now. So things are looking bright here.
0: What, what makes it so good? I mean, I know obviously everything with COVID going on has kind of been a bit hectic for everybody around the world, but what's uh, what's different this week for you all? Yeah, well, you know, China was
1: hit first, and so this year January started off looking very good for us, and then okay. the next three months were ba- basically just um, a downward um, spiral of of kind of people telling me, "Hey, let's let's talk in May, let's talk in June, let's talk in July." Um, right. So, and and now we're starting to see companies, you know, handle the crisis and um, and, and pick up projects again. So that's basically it. So hopefully, good. this is a trend, not not just a blip.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I kind of seen the same thing on our end. It's um, a lot of engagement, a lot of good conversations, but it's you know there's so much uncertainty in the market right now that people are very hesitant to make any any firm decisions, especially decisions that re- require the use of additional resources or or, or money. Um, so, so yeah, I'm hoping that we're kind of you know um, coming out of this now and companies are starting to get back to normal business because I think um, a lot of businesses could use that, and just from a industry as a whole, I think it's it's beneficial for all of us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we're getting there, but it's going to be a long haul. I don't think we're going to have a quick uh, U-turn here.
0: I I agree with you completely. Um, so one of the ways I usually like to start these, the podcast uh, shows is to have, have our guests kind of give a quick introduction about themselves. So if you would, wouldn't mind, um, providing our audience a little bit of background information on you and you talk a little bit more more about you as a person, just to give them some insights and who they're listening to.
1: (laughs) Yeah, great. So um, let's see. Background, I, you know, we can start a bit far back. I um, studied philosophy, political science, and then spent uh, several years, uh, I think five years or so, traveling Latin America um, and uh, in Asia, basically just making enough money to live and, and moving from country to country. Um, then I got my MBA and moved into management consulting uh, here in China. So I've been in China uh, since 2010. Um, working with a Swedish consultancy, and then eventually setting up IoT One. And now I'm I'm basically wearing three hats. You know, my core business is is IoT One. Um, And then I'm also um, director for about eight years now of uh, the the Shanghai Startup Grind chapter, which is just a community for entrepreneurs, a global community. Uh, Each city has a, a director. Uh, so actually about 600 cities globally. So it's, it's quite a large uh, network. Um, and then, uh, also I am uh, vice chair of the, um, technology and innovation committee over at AmCham here. So do a lot of work with the American community.
0: That's awesome. Uh, so I've been in the IOT industry for about four years, five years now. Um, and I've, I've heard of IOT1, uh, when, when I first got into it. So, so you guys have been around for a little while and, um, and I'm sure a lot of our audience is very familiar with with what you all do. But I think for those members of our audience who may be unfamiliar, it'd be great if you give a quick overview um, kind of of IoT One. You know, what do you all do? What role you all play in the IoT space?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's going to be two perspectives on IoT One. I think a lot of people are going to come across our website first, which is basically a database of companies, case studies. um use cases, events, et cetera. Um, and, and that is um, actually where we started the company. We started by just aggregating this information, structuring it, making it easy to search. Um, and um, and then we tried to monetize it. And <laughs> we found out, OK, it's actually quite difficult to monetize a data platform, right? And we, you know, right. we started with a, you know a little bit of seed capital, but not a big, uh, a big uh, amount of investment. Um, and so uh, we've now built on top of that a, a, an advisory business, a research-focused business. So we do a lot of uh, customized research. So most of our business is now oriented around the customized research, uh, which could be around uh, supplier identification. It could be around advising on a, a new go-to-market or solution development strategy um uh but generally um accessing external information pulling that into the organization um so we have these two sides of the business now one of them we put a lot of energy into it but it generates very little revenue but i think it's it's useful uh, for people and it's also useful for us to have this large database of of uh, information and uh, i'm still hopeful that at some point in the future we'll we'll figure out how to meaningfully monetize that but our business um is primarily oriented around uh customized research right now
0: Okay. So, so how do they kind of work hand in hand? I imagine that there's a lot of data that you're able to collect on it, from the database side, from, from, um, you know, looking through use cases, solutions and and that side of things and how it relates over to the research that you're doing for companies that are coming to you directly. How does those, how do they kind of work hand in hand?
1: Yeah. So I, you know, the objective always is to solve a company's problem, right? Somebody comes to us right. with a question, with a challenge, and then the, you know, how can we solve that problem and how can we do it efficiently? Right? So the first time we're solving a problem, we, we have to do it more or less, uh, let's say, 100% uh, manually. We have to put in a great deal of effort. And, uh, but then we build some knowledge database through, through that execution, um, and we're always simultaneously, you know, whenever we have somebody on the beach, you know, somebody who's not on a project, they're doing research in some area. So we're building up this knowledge database. And so the goal is to move from a hundred percent to 80% to 60% to 40%. And at some point, you know, we would like to reach the point where somebody has a, a, you know, maybe a competitive analysis question. We can basically uh-huh. say, okay, you know um we have all the information basically that we need in order to to you know address this for you it's going to require a little bit of um you know synthesis from our side but maybe we're only putting in 20% effort on top of the um the the information that we've already compiled so so that's the goal i'd say right now we're probably still in like 70 to 80% where the, the database is very it's very useful, but it's just mm-hmm. a starting point. And uh, you know, IoT is it's so broad and it's so deep, um, and that's one of the things I underestimated, kind of going into this. Right, sure. you're talking about a tremendous amount of verticals and and a very deep tech stack. So um, yeah, it's it's going to be a long term progress. But uh, yeah, but it, it, I think it works quite well, and we're also figuring out how to make the database easier for people to access um, and and use uh, and, and analyze. Um, mm-hmm. in an automated way. So that's something that we'll have coming out later this year.
0: So on the research side, the, co- the companies that you're working with, um, at, at the beginning of this, this episode, you mentioned that things are you know, um, going really well this week. Do you, how often are companies coming to you now looking for any type of assistance or consulting help on the, uh, regarding what's going on with COVID and how it's affecting the industry, how it's affecting certain markets, how it's you know, um, potentially going to impact us long-term?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's two perspectives, right? There's one which are companies in crisis mode trying to figure out can IOT help right around, um, remote collaboration, remote monitoring, remote control, et cetera. Um, and we've had a, a you know, a few companies come from that perspective. Um, mm-hmm. but I think most of the companies are more coming from the perspective of, yeah, how is this going to impact markets in the gotcha. longer term? Um, so more from a, a technology perspective. So that's, I mean, it's certainly a very, um, deep topic right now. and And one of the you know the the approaches that we're discussing is um looking out let's say you know 12 to 24 36 months Mm -hmm. it really doesn't make sense at this point right i mean you can do it but the probability that you're accurate is is very low Um, and so now we're looking at a different approach which is okay let's aggregate data in real time put it on a shared document that people can access at any time send out a weekly update email, you know, here's the key things that happened last week, and then uh-huh. maybe do a monthly analysis. So we basically take, you know, the timeline and really compress it down. Uh, and so that, that's more the, I think the approach that we have to take at least for the next couple of months.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So let me, let me ask you this then, like kind of all, if you're thinking about it from the macro level, um, the impact that coronavirus is having right now on, on the IOT industry, um, how do you kind of view that macro level impact uh, on, let's say, IoT projects uh, in general? So, you know, do you think it will slow down, speed up, a, or speed up adoption? Um, considering that IoT solutions can kind of reduce the size of a workforce, therefore potential human contact, those kinds of things. Just, just overall, how are you? How are you guys thinking about it? And what are your? Where is your view for the macro level of of how coronavirus is going to impact IoT projects? Kind of um, from that standpoint.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, medium to long term, the impact will probably be relatively positive. Um, in that, okay. uh, you know, you say uh, there's this joke going around, right? Who's driving um, industrial digitalization, right? Or digital transformation? Is it the CIO, the CTO, or COVID-19, right? And so COVID-19 has kind of forced companies to, um, um, one, to adopt some technologies in the near term around uh, remote collaboration and so forth. And, and after they adopt the technology, they develop processes for how to use the technology. Uh, they, they onboard new suppliers and so forth. So then there's a stickiness, right? So that technology has been adopted and it, it'll sustain. But that's only a, a small subset of what IoT can do, right? There's a lot of IoT technologies that don't have a, a very near-term impact and, and are not being adopted. And they might be Postponed, right? A lot of projects will be postponed because of budget concerns or just the difficulty of working on site and so forth. So in the near term, you have this uh, this tension where some some categories are being rapidly adopted, other projects are being postponed due to budget or or um, uh, travel issues. But then in the in the medium to long term, companies are thinking a lot more about how do we become agile, right? How do we how do we react more? You know, maybe we're, we're not. You know, it's, it's unlikely that we're going to have another uh, coronavirus, you know, in, in five years or 10 years, but there could be some other disruption, right? Right. Um, it could be political or, you know, otherwise in nature. And so how do we become more agile? And there, you know, IoT has a lot to provide in terms of providing, you know, the the data and the ability to, uh, to make decisions quickly and to modify operations quickly. Um, so that we're seeing a big impact. The other area where we're seeing a lot of companies put a lot of thought in right now is the... Um, switch from selling CapEx to selling OpEx. So we see a lot of um, equipment manufacturers, for example, who they sell CapEx and then a disruption comes along and their sales Mm -hmm. go down 80% because those projects are relatively easy to postpone. Uh, But if they have a as a service business built on top, then they have these uh, incremental revenue streams, which continue bringing cash into the organization um, and are, are unlikely to be canceled, right? So um, if you're paying a monthly, you know, SaaS subscription on top of the Apex that you purchased in the past, you might not be ordering new equipment, but you're going to keep paying that that subscription. Right. So we see a lot of companies looking at, OK, how can we balance our revenue pro, uh, portfolio so it's not so lumpy? Right. Um, right. And that uh, that I think will be a longer term trend.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So as we kind of think about um you know expand on on the impact that covid's having on iot projects if we just kind of segment out large enterprises here for a second do you think there are, are factors that large enterprises maybe should be considering but are not considering right now as it as it relates to um the way covid's going to be impacting their business now and into the future um
1: yeah i mean you know, there's there's been a lot of analysis on how past disruptions impacted, or how, let's say, how different organizations reacted to past disruptions, and you see kind of a subset of organizations that um, go into hibernation, right, and and really become very conservative, and then another you know set of organizations that attempt to keep um, you know technology adoption, technology development. Uh, moving. And, um, you know, and uh, this is, this is kind of, you know, McKinsey analysis type stuff. So there's always a little bit of uh, you know, okay, y- you know, you, you can get enough data and you can spin a good story. So is this, you know, is this the truth? But, um, but you know, the analysis that I've seen is that, yeah, it's quite important to try to keep, uh, longer-term initiatives moving during these disruptions, um, for you know, for a couple of reasons. One, a lot of market share mm-hmm. is in play, right? So, in China, for example, um, you know, as some multinationals go into hibernation, we're we're really seeing state-owned enterprises, for example, um, seek market share, you know, through through acquisition, through entry into new markets, and so forth, because they have capital. Um, and then also from a talent standpoint, um, you know, we I was just speaking with a, a company yesterday. is saying, yeah, we've, we've had talent, you know, knocking on our door that normally would never look at us. Right. But all of a sudden we've got these really, you know, really sharp people that are usually going to be working for, you know, um, companies that can pay, you know, twice as much as us. And and they're now looking for opportunities and this is for, uh, for them, you know, and of course they know they're going to hire some of these people and they'll leave once other opportunities open up, but, but some of them will stay because they, they enjoy the culture and so forth. And so it can also be a, a talent acquisition and with talent comes, I mean, frankly, with talent comes IP. It right. comes a right. lot of there's a lot of knowledge that comes in the door when you acquire this talent. Um, so, you know, I think from both of those perspectives, from a, kind of a market share um, transfer perspective, um, and also from a talent acquisition perspective, these types of disruptions can can really move the needle, and and then you can see kind of winners and, and losers emerge and the years following based on how they behave during this period.
0: Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how things kind of transpire over the next couple of months across the world, right? You know, different areas, different regions, different industries are going to, it's all going to kind of play out very differently. Um, so, so if we kind of are thinking about those factors that we were just talking about, um, how do you think that's influencing the use cases that in enterprises are focusing on given this new normal that we have right now? Um, if we're thinking, you know, what's going on now, what's going on in the next 12 days, 18 months. Um, do you think there's any specific types of use cases that organizations probably should be thinking about or should be focusing on maybe that they wouldn't be if given that this pandemic didn't happen?
1: Yeah. I mean the, you know, the big ones that we see a lot of focus on right now are more, remote collaboration, training, operating mm-hmm. so that, you know, not just Zoom, but also um, for maintenance or, you know, for, you know, you have an expert sitting in the U.S. and then you have operations in Malaysia and maybe before you would fly that expert over when something breaks down. Well, now that's not an option. So um, remote collaboration for for uh, problem solving, maintenance and so forth. So that I think is something that's being very heavily adopted right now. Um, remote monitoring and control systems. Um, you know, I've talked to companies uh, that, that provide this solution that say they've had big, big upticks in demand in the past couple months. Um, and have, they've been able to even get on site and do, uh, do sensor deployment and so forth, because you look at it, you say, okay, um, you know, it's, we can get somebody on site for one or two days, um, you know, through the travel, kind of fight our way through the travel restrictions. It's, uh, but we're not going to have people potentially on, you know, on site permanently for the next two or three months. So, um, so let's, let's make this happen. Uh, so, um, so those are the big, uh, the big use cases um, you know, 3d printing, we've seen a little bit of uptick, but that I think is very niche, right? It's, uh, so there's, you know, when you have some supply chain disruptions, then, um, in some cases, 3d printing can help you to, uh, address those and, and, uh, develop, you know, build, build, uh, key components that are stuck somewhere in the supply chain, um, AGVs and drones. I mean, this is a little bit more long-term. This is not, you know, it's, it's, you can't, you know when you when you start adopting agvs and and drones you know it's a longer term process um change and then the technology deployment also uh takes takes longer than deploying sensors in a in a remote uh, monitoring solution uh but we see a lot of interest in this area so these are all trends that have been kind of ongoing and it's just a let's say an acceleration of these trends uh but i think that it that can be very meaningful because um you know once it, even if it's to address a near-term concern, once the technology is deployed, again you you develop processes, you onboard suppliers, um, and uh, and it, it becomes fairly sticky.
0: Yeah, no, it makes total sense. Um, and, and you know, like we were talking about earlier, is, you know, we've kind of been seeing um, adoption affected by by COVID, and I'm just curious. I know we kind of briefly touched on it a second ago, but do you view What's happening with COVID as something that will cause certain companies and organizations to start thinking about IoT when maybe regularly they were not, or maybe it was on their roadmap, but a lot further down the line, but maybe now bring it more toward the forefront because of what's happening with COVID? Or do you think it's something that will actually cause that to to slow down for a lot of organizations because of the uncertainty in the market, because of the limited resources and, and uncertain times from a financial perspective?
1: yeah um, yeah I mean I think we have to segment into solutions that can help to address the current crisis and solutions that can't help to address the current mm-hmm. crisis so if there's you know if the solution doesn't have any near-term impact I think it's it's quite likely to be post you know that um, either technology development or deployment will be postponed um, but if it can't have an impact there we yeah we really are seeing um, you know adoption uh, you know, so another use case that um i think is uh is, is very meaningful right now and uh we when talking to end users has been really a priority is um dashboarding right and dashboarding you could say is quite i mean it's it's not it's not brain surgery it's quite you know but it's a lot it's something that a lot of companies haven't really invested that much time in because um they were on site right they they could talk to somebody they could you know they could walk to the factory and check it and all of a sudden it's like okay i'm you know i'm working at home or i'm I got stuck in germany and my operations are in china or whatever um, and so now what we're looking at is, okay, how can we quickly aggregate all the data that we have from, you know, different sources in our organization and put that on dashboards with different views for different users? Um, and all of a sudden that gives them a much greater perspective into what data do we have, right? It's, it's, so it, first of all, it helps them to operate their business better but it also gives this new perspective that hey we have all of this information now what can we do with this information so i think that the the near term impact there is going to be that people are able to remotely monitor and operate their businesses better but the longer term impact is that they're going to they're going to exit this with much better visibility into what data they actually have and also what what data gaps they they do have right so if they say hey you know what we have a complete black spot around this, you know, this asset class. Okay. That's a problem, right? Now, how can we address that? Um, so yes, I, I do think that, uh, this, you know, it, it, it's not that these large projects are going to be accelerated all of a sudden in the next 12 months. Uh, but it is certainly very rapidly increasing awareness around what might be useful and what gaps might need to be addressed.
0: Yeah, for sure. Let me, let me ask you, um, kind of your perspective on based on the area of the, of the world that you live in, um, over in China, How has the adoption for IOT differed from your perspective in China versus the rest of the world? Are there regions that you're seeing that are adopting IOT more quickly Um, or maybe some regions that you've you've um, done research into or looked into and kind of seen as maybe a good model for success that others should kind of pay attention to?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, if you look at the U.S. and Europe, you say, okay, these are markets that have, are very mature. The processes are very mature, right? Lean and all of this is very mature. Um, and if you talk to, you know, you talk to the engineers and they're 50 years old and they say, yeah, I've been connecting things on the the, the factory floor <laughs> for for 30 years. And, and so on the one hand, um, they're further along, right? But on the other hand, a lot, they have a lot of processes in place that were developed around earlier technologies and they have a lot of infrastructure in place that's you know built built in over 20 30 years and the difference in china right is that you have a lot of factories that are quite new and you still have an, a fair number of greenfield facilities going up or expansion of brownfields so um, and so that means that the architecture is newer it means often that the processes are uh, are on the one hand weaker, but a weak process also means that you have an opportunity to completely reinvent the process around a new technology stack, um, and so you have this opportunity. So we see uh, quite a number of companies using China as a uh, a test bed or or building kind of uh, model model factories or model production lines in China simply because they have the you know greater flexibility to deploy new technology and and uh, experiment with processes. Um, So that's, that's one trend for the multinationals Um, on the Chinese, you know, the private side um, there, it, I'd say that that's very challenging right now. So Mm -hmm. a lot of these companies, uh, they lack capital They're you know, their balance sheets are not very strong. It's hard for them to get loans and so forth. Um, So, so there we see really a move towards um, you know, I, I often look at IOT in terms of kind of, you know, just segment it and say, okay, one part of IOT is, the brain surgery part, where you're you're kind of pushing the, the the boundaries of technology, and the other is all about cost down. It's all about hey, sensors, connectivity, um, compute power is all getting cheaper. Now that it you know now that the cost is going down, how can we use these resources in ways that we previously wouldn't? Um, and so we see like uh, SaaS based MES systems that cost ten thousand dollars per year. You know, where a company before would never think about getting an MES. It's way too expensive. It's too technically complicated. And now you have these very lean um, solutions that are super easy to use. They're built around kind of um, consumer app best practices, you know, so you you can, you know, high school education, you can figure it out, you can use it. And so we see a lot of innovation in that side to serve the private, you know, the medium size and, and which for me is, is awesome. I mean, being able to go from industry 1.5 to you know to all of a sudden using this uh, sophisticated you know solution is is pretty cool um and then you have the last category here in china which mm-hmm. are the state owned enterprises and they're the ones where you have these kind of you know the robot statue right where they they invest in this very fancy technology but they don't use it, right? Because they have access to cheap capital and, and, and they want to maybe impress somebody. So they, you know, so, and that's maybe a little bit unfair. I think they are getting better run and, and they're allocating capital better than they did in the past, but you see a lot of um, very heavy investments. Uh, there's a trend, for example, for the pass area for platform as a service, right? Where um, I was talking, you know, again, recently with a, uh, one of the global leading uh, past companies, and they said, yeah, in China, it's a completely different market, right? In, in Europe, in the US, you can sell pass to a company, right? Um, that's the way it works. In China, you can't sell pass to a company because every company, every large company wants to build their own pass, right? Whether it's China Petrol or, or Sani, the construction equipment company, Zoomland, um, you know, they're all building their own pass. And so what you can do is you can sell them specialized capabilities. You might be able to white label some of the architecture and sell them that, but they're going to build their And that's uh, just a completely different mentality, uh, which I think is in part, I mean, certainly it's in part driven by the government kind of telling them, you know, you need to own this, especially for state-owned enterprises and data. But it's also, I think, kind of the Chinese mentality of there's a new technology, a new market, let's see how we can own this in our vertical, Um, which is, so companies here are much uh, I think they're much more willing to, or opportunistic, let's say, in expanding into new territory. Whereas in the U.S. or Europe, companies kind of know their mm-hmm. business and they're they're more likely to kind of focus on their business without, uh, rather than totally a radical agree. expansion. Yeah. Um,
0: so, how do you see the kind of the way that that China is handling? Um- IOT adoption and kind of the, the, the points you just mentioned there um, about wanting to to own and build their own um, from a company perspective. How is that influencing adoption across um, different industries in China right now?
1: Um, yeah, so I, I think on the one hand, it's it's accelerating it, right? Especially in particular industries. So all of the construction equipment OEMs have their own pass, you know. Um, all of you know a lot of the the larger kind of process industry. And then what they try to do is they sell this pass up and down their supply chain. So they'll sell it to suppliers, they'll sell it to customers, um, and so that has helped to uh, you know accelerate adoption. Um, but it, it also means that um, I think for the the more pure technology providers, it's a little bit more challenging. So let's say when Siemens MindSphere enters in, and they say, okay, we've got this great manufacturing platform. Uh, you know, companies then look and say, well, you know, we're building our own manufacturing platform. So do we need to use this? Or or maybe we want to use Alibaba's, which has this kind of, um, uh, you know, um, N plus one where they provide the horizontal ar- architecture and then their customer provides all the vertical applications, you know, um, on top of that architecture, um, which requires a lot more system integration, but then the customer really owns the, the capability. Um, and so I think it, um, it, on the one hand, it, it's um, it's probably increased awareness among companies because they're really trying to develop their own thing. On the other hand, it's not the most efficient from a market perspective. You could say, okay, we're, we're probably going to end up with better past solutions if there's five companies that or 10 companies that really know this and they're able to find a marketplace and sell and, uh, and establish some economies of scale. Every every company building their own past is probably not the most <laughs> yeah. efficient way from a market perspective. So, uh, you know... You know, so but from a learning perspective, there's there's a lot of value there. So we'll see how this plays out. I think what we'll probably end up with in the end is a little bit more of this mm-hmm. n plus one, where there's you know cus- companies still want to own their own pass or uh, heavily customize. But um, you know, com- companies like Alibaba or Siemens will specialize in particular layers of the architecture or you know particular right. application domains uh, and sell those into the, yeah the individual passes.
0: Yeah, it's a very it's a- it's very different approach from, you know, what I see in the United States. Um, you know, I kind of view the IOT market over time, consolidating itself, um, as technology continues to mature and improve and prices could drop are driven down just, I, I don't, you know, we can't have thousands of different IOT platforms. I just think it's going to, you're going to see people not be able to, um, sustain business, whether it's, you know, lack of funding or revenue. Um, and I think we're just going to see due to the stickiness of a lot of IOT solutions, companies are not going to be switching between IOT platforms, you know, every year when, you know, um, as they grow. And I think we're going to start to see, um, as the use cases and solutions more mature, and we see more of them at a price that companies can easily adopt, I feel like we're going to start to see a consolidation of the IoT market in the US. Um, and I wonder how that kind of translates around to other countries, not so much China, based on the approach you were just, or the, you know, their mindset that you were just talking about. But I'd be very curious to see kind of how, how, how things evolve over the next number of years as, as things become more affordable, adoption kind of increases. Um, and just see kind of where where we go uh, from a, from a platform perspective, from a, you know, a solutions provider perspective, um, as things evolve.
1: Yeah. I, I think that'll probably happen. I'm, we're also seeing consolidation more generally and outside of China, if we look at the rest of APAC, we, you know, we don't, we, we see the same trend, right? A lot of uh, maybe outside of Japan, you know, some companies have their own past, but outside of Japan, um, you know, there's not really strong players here that are developing their own competitive path. So, uh, so we're we're going to see a much more consolidated market, I would expect.
0: Absolutely. So yeah. now you kind of talked about a number of different angles um, regarding, you know, the impact of COVID, uh, you know, how you're seeing adoption in China <laughs> and as we compare to the, the rest of the world on the IoT front. Let's let's let uh, pretend for, for a second that there we're an IoT manager. Um, how, what areas would you recommend an IoT manager or somebody within an organization looking into kind of expanding IoT, getting into maybe their IoT journey? Um, what areas should they invest in and, and why would you kind of list those areas as the areas of importance? Mm. Well, so should
1: I take the perspective of somebody who's trying to monetize IoT or somebody who's trying to assess it for their internal operations?
0: Um, let's go with monetizing IoT. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I
1: I think in the past, you know, three, four years, you've had these different uh, technologies kind of trend, right? And then there's a certain amount of boardroom excitement and so forth that trickles down and, and you get a little bit into this, um, we need VR, we need blockchain, we need whatever, how can we use this? and that i don't think is very um, useful as a you know as an orientation strategy right so i think it it really comes down to the you know the traditional approach what what are our customers problems right mm-hmm. um, our customers you know how can we deliver better value how can we how can we address their pain points so that still needs to be the the fundamental perspective but then you need to also consider that the tools kit that you have to solve problems address pain points provide value is changing, right? And um, for example, a lot of the functionality might be moving from hardware towards software, right? You're able to kind of disaggregate the solution to an extent. Um, On the other hand, um, you might be building more complicated solutions that have deeper tech stacks. And, you know, and then you might, you know, identify that this solution solves a particular problem, uh, but that your company is only, you know, able to provide components or, or capability in certain um, aspects of that solution, and then you need to identify partners to to fill those gaps. So mm-hmm. I think it, um, it you know the the approach needs to be really rooted in um, understanding customer uh, customer challenges, um, and then looking at how either new functionality, for example, mean, machine vision, machine learning, um, mm-hmm. can can enable you to address those challenges in new ways, um, or how cost reductions um, can can allow you to. Um, implement you know sensor solutions, sensing solutions, et cetera um, that were previously not available, and then you need to approach this with a very open mind in terms of how you monetize right so you have to take a I think a, a portfolio approach and say, okay we're providing this suite of of capabilities. where do we want to make our profit? where do we want to enter into new customer area? Uh, where do we want to have a sticky relationship with the customer? so maybe we provide the pass for free or very cheap, right? And, and that engages the customer um, so that we have, you know, it's, it's once they invest in the pass and they, you know, it's hard for them to leave and transfer to a new pass. And then we use our SaaS solutions, our application-oriented solutions to monetize. And we, you know, we charge X, X uh, amount per month uh, or per year for, for access to these um, because these SaaS solutions then solve specific spot problems that you can build a business case around Whereas you can't build a business case around a pass because you know it's, it's more of an organization wide uh, deployment, right? It doesn't solve specific problems. Um, so yeah, it, it, this I think this approach um, it needs to be taken because often you'll look at a you know an IoT business case, and it might be that it um, it provides a lot of value in terms of increasing the stickiness of the relationship or something, but that. It it you you don't see how a customer is going to justify that incremental payment. It might even be the case where the the incremental value is to your R and D team um, in terms of being able to understand how customers are. You I mean we we're working with a construction equipment manufacturer and you know there we're looking at okay we sell to a distributor and then we have no idea where our equipment goes. We have no idea right. how people are using the equipment. What, you know where it's being sold. So if we can sell. Uh, some solution that allows you to, for example, take pictures at a job site, record them easily and so forth. Now, all of a sudden, you know, we can track where the equipment is. We can get, we can look and see what people are actually doing with our equipment, um, you know, and, and now we can build much better products. We can target markets geographically more effectively or, or by, in, you know, industry subsegment uh, more, more effectively. Uh, so the value there is, is for internal um, uh, R&D and, and marketing uh, purposes. Um, so I, I think you have to have this, you know, very um, flexible approach to how you, per, you know, how, how you uh, perceive the value, and um, and then chop that value up and say, okay, we're going to monetize to this customer group, but uh, you know, uh, you know, ten percent of the value uh, or the cost is is going to be coming back from this customer group, thirty percent is going to be from RD. We're going to then, you know, aggregate data and sell it to this other group um because the maybe the aggregated data from across our customer base can be anonymized and sold to another party and we're going to get 30% uh, or a certain amount of value from that uh, so i think it, this this i think is a little bit or it's extremely challenging for companies that are coming from more of a capex perspective where i'm selling hardware uh, and it's very clear cut because all of a sudden we're dealing with um data right which can be sold which can provide value in a lot of different ways to a lot of different stakeholders um, and is it's much more difficult to build a clear business case around, even if the aggregate value is, is very significant.
0: So uh, before we wrap up here, I wanted to stick on the business topic for a second and talk a little bit about business models. Um, it kind of relates to what you were just talking about. But from your experience and the research you all do um, and the companies that you work with, which business models have you seen to be most effective? Because I think there are a lot of them. And I think we're starting to they're starting to get more creative while at the same time um, I think we're starting to narrow the focus to which ones are working the best. And usually from my experience, it, you know, matching the company is providing the solution, being able to be flexible and matching the business model with the business goals um, and the, the business model of the company that's actually using it or potentially selling it, um, usually results in the most success. Um, so just from your perspective, what business models are you seeing to be most effective and whether that's industry specific or whether you're seeing a difference depending on region of the world, just out of curiosity, kind of, you know, what are you seeing there? Yeah. Yeah. I
1: mean, there's kind of the low hanging fruit business model, which is building in some, um, some SAS, you know, um, Uh, service model on top of an existing business and so that i think is is very much low-hanging fruit it's something that most companies should somehow be looking at and those can be time-based they can be value-based they can be user-based uh subscriptions um right now we're still seeing more user-based and time-based just because those are uh, are i think easier to d- define, whereas value-based maybe intuitively makes more sense, but can be somewhat more challenging to to track, and, um, and you have sure. to justify what is the value. Um, so I think we'll we'll start to see more value-based uh, business models, but it's a bit more complicated to um, to craft. Uh, data monetization is something that we see a lot of um, startups looking into. Right? How can we um, uh, anonymize, aggregate data, and, and monetize it for third parties? Um, and so intuitively, this you know, there's a tremendous amount of value. And if you look at the, um, uh, the traditional internet-based businesses, all of the businesses are based, you know, that, that have created kind of 10 billion plus valuations are basically data monetization, right? It's somehow they're, they're advertising platform, you know, and, and that's been very difficult in the B2B space, uh, because of, well, for a of reasons, but we see a lot of people attacking this problem, trying to figure out how, you know, how can we, monetize this data for third parties. Whereas right now it's basically a one-to-one relationship between a customer and a, and a supplier. Um, we see a lot of innovation there, but that that's challenging for legal regulatory and, and just business, uh, um, asset sharing. Um, we see a lot of, um, uh, interest in, in how, you know, if we're looking at it, you know, a lot of asset classes where maybe the asset is only being utilized 10, 20, 30% of the time. Um, how can we um create different uh models for um for sharing access to that asset uh and maybe on a value basis um and now this requires that the asset is somehow mobile um or that you know we we also see let's say for example one company which is a um uh they do uh, laser cutting, right? And they sell, they sell equipment. And now the the question is, okay, instead of selling equipment, can we sell access to the equipment by creating a marketplace? Right. And so, right. you know, you have two types of assets sharing, right? One is you move the asset from place to place. The second is you create a marketplace where you create visibility. Where are the assets that have underutilized capability? And then through the centralized marketplace, you can access those, you know, you can, you can get a job done right uh, at, at the lowest uh, bid. Um, and so there we see a lot of innovation but that, you know, that it's also not low hanging fruit, right? You're building up a marketplace. So you'd have to look at supply and demand and you, you know, you have to invest a fair amount of money to, you know, to, to get up enough, uh, enough volume for this to make sense. Um, so there we're also seeing it's either startups or it's, um, larger companies, but, uh, I think those are going to be, um, big businesses. I think some big businesses will emerge out of that because of the economies of scale. Um, but, uh, but over, you know, over a longer period of time. Um, yeah, please. No, I, I was just, I actually have a list of business models <laughs> in front of me here that oh, uh, yeah, we're, we're working on sure. the, an IoT business model canvas right now. So uh, I was just looking through and, you know, there's a lot of other business models, but I think uh, those are, are probably the ones that are the most exciting in terms of either, you know, oh. near term impact or, or having a long term real impact. Uh, um,
0: so I think you know. Obviously, I at the end of the day, like I, both both sides, the company's helping develop the IoT solution. The company that's deploying it usually, you know, scale is kind of the end goal, right? It's where everybody kind of wins in most cases. How much? What are you seeing on on the early early stage of an IoT journey from a business model perspective? Are you seeing a lot of companies willing to? To pay um, kind of NRE costs up front for development of pilots. So, you looking at are you seeing more um, kind of those those initial development costs waived for you know promises of scale? Like, how are you seeing kind of the early pilot stages being monetized as it compares to what we're just talking about, which is more of the the long term SaaS play.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we're still seeing a lot of companies uh, trying to charge for pilots, but but charging a relatively low sum. So they still want to get into the, mm-hmm. the procurement system, right? And I think that's that's a kind of an right. important milestone. Um, but they're willing to still, I think, uh, often go down quite low in terms of pricing. And, and that, I think, becomes a challenge because what we see a lot of pilots then turning into are uh, very scaled back versions of what a full deployment might be. Um, and which is okay if you're trying to validate a specific like technology um, viability top, you know, topic, but uh, but often then that, that pilot doesn't scale to a full deployment because you've you, you've simplified all of the challenging factors out of the pilot, you know. Uh, so so I don't know. I think we still have to figure this out, right? Um, a lot of IoT deployments, a pilot doesn't quite do the trick or or, you know you have to scale up from a pilot from you know a a few a few assets to an entire production line or or, or an entire factory and say okay let's look at running this pilot on this factory and then scale this across multiple factories Um, so i think we have to so yeah i mean but i think what we're still seeing is primarily larger companies wanting to um use pilots as as kind of learning opportunities Um, um and, and companies are, you know, the technology providers are willing to run these pilots for relatively low sums. So we still see this tension of a lot of ineffective pilots being implemented because on both sides, the organization has some incentive to keep the, you know, the investment uh, low, which, which uh, I think is a little bit, uh, a bit of a shame. Um, but, I mean, aside from that, I, I guess one of the outcomes over the past few years is that companies have run through so many pilots mm-hmm. that we do see a lot more large-scale deployments now that a lot of companies, even if it's not something that they've piloted before, they're just more comfortable with the concepts uh, their team has experienced with different uh, different types of deployments. So we see a lot of competence uh, built up over the past few years, and, and we do see a lot more uh, full deployments than we we did in 2016, you know, 17
0: so One of the last things I want to ask you is kind of tied to this part of the conversation, which is uh, regarding pilots and what kind of advice do you have for companies that are looking to, um, to deploy a pilot or kind of, you know, start that, start their IOT journey with a pilot. What um, advice do you have for those companies to make a pilot successful? Cause oftentimes, you know, it's like you're saying, it's something that's, uh, it's, they usually have a limited budget and the cost of the pilot may not be that high to get into procurement, but you know, oftentimes these companies are looking for ROI, to be kind of proven out. Um, and there are a lot of mistakes that can be made during pilots, which is oftentimes why pilots do not get out uh, or IoT solutions don't get out of the pilot phase. So from your guys' perspective, what, what are you seeing as kind of any tips or advice that you have for organizations that are going to start with a pilot in order to give them the best chance of success during that phase to hopefully get to to scale?
1: Mm, Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, for me, there's three aspects of um, why a pilot might be useful, right? You can um, validate the business case. Um, try to assess the ROI you can uh, validate the technology and determine does this technology actually solve the problem and then you can address potential implementation challenges which could be around user interface they could be around um, um, data you know data ownership data privacy, and so forth uh, that are not really technical in orientation but are kind of or, more organizational or um, um, and I, I think it 's critical up front when you 're defining a pilot is to look at these three and say, okay what do we really need to test here? And it, it differs. It's not that all three of these are equally important for any deployment, right? They, uh, one deployment, privacy might be critical. Another one, it might be you know the tech, technical aspects are, are quite simple and the organizational aspects quite simple. But we have to you know really ensure that this makes sense from a business perspective. Um, so I, I think the first thing is just look at these three areas and define what are the critical success factors here, and then scope the pilot to make sure that you are validating those. Those aspects, mm-hmm. and and right. you have to just acknowledge that there's certain things that you're not going to validate with the pilot. That's okay, uh, because you you know if you have confidence that those are you know you a relatively high level of um, of confidence that that you'll be able to implement those um, or that they won't be issues. But um, this, I, I think, is the critical kind of thought process to go through. Um, so you know, again, it's um, validate the ROI validate the technology and validate the let's say the organizational challenges mm-hmm. so if you you know and, and it's probably i mean I, i'll give you an example right now we're looking at one company which is a automotive uh, component uh, manufacturer and they are um looking at spinning off a technology and in, in, into a SaaS. so pre- previously they would sell their, their solution into an oem it'd be installed in the vehicle and now they're looking at aftermarket uh, as a um uh, and, um, I kind of an as a service business, uh, sold into the aftermarket. Um, and so there, you know, on the organizational side, uh, no big, no big challenges on the technical side, uh, also no big challenges. I mean, there's, you know, you're, you're adding some connectivity issues and, and there's then a user application and so forth, but that's pretty, um, uh, pretty, pretty high assurance that they'll be able to, uh, b- build the right technology solution. Um, the, the big issue there is going to be on the business side of, um, what's the, the price level, what's the pricing model, uh, who are mm-hmm. the partners that'll, uh, you know, what's the diff- distribution model? How, how do we get this actually into the, into the vehicles in the aftermarket? So, so there we can really focus the, uh, the pilot on figuring out the, the business model. And then we're, we're you know, pretty confident that the rest of the solution will come together.
0: Okay, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. I'm very curious to see kind of... Um you know, how, how the success of pilots changes over the coming, coming months to years, because we've seen a lot of solutions unfortunately fail and not get out of the pilot stage. So I'm hoping that obviously does not continue because that affects IoT adoption greatly. Um, but but as we wrap up here, I want to ask you just a couple more questions. Um, not so much related to what we've been talking about, but more about IOT one. If, if, you know, there's listeners out there that are curious about um, both sides of IOT one, what's the best way for them to kind of get in touch, to learn more, to be involved in that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, certainly um, you're welcome to reach me on LinkedIn. So name is Eric Walenza, or you can just type uh, CEO IOT1 and find me. Um, You can email us at team at IOT1.com. We'll get in touch with you. Absolutely. Um, And we're working on a uh, research project right now, or let's say a set of interviews to discuss this topic of how COVID-19 will impact IoT adoption in in the the mid to long term. So if you're interested in um, either contributing to this research or accessing the results, uh, shoot us a note and then we'll we'll be in touch with you there as well. Uh, Those will be out in um, early to mid-June. Um, uh, so please reach out. I'm always happy to have a conversation awesome.
0: and, uh, anything kind of, um, that we should be on the lookout for coming out of your, your guys, um, kind of operation over there over the next number of months. That's that's, um, you know, any announcements, any products, any kind of new releases or anything that's, that's kind of exciting that you want to share.
1: Yeah, I mean, we have three things in the work right now. So one is this COVID-19 uh, research. The second is an IoT business model canvas that we're working with a, um, a professor on. And that'll be, uh, I think uh, the white paper will be out in June or July. And then uh, we'll, we'll have a tool uh, also out uh, soon after that. Um, and then uh, the last one is, you know on our website, we're currently categorizing companies by, I think, 17 categories, right? And we're expanding that to about 200 categories. Um, so we're going into a much level, a greater level of detail into what companies are actually doing, which will give us a lot more visibility for um, identifying segments, uh, categorizing companies, uh, or, or just for search uh, and prioritization. Um, so that is, uh, that's a big initiative. Um, it's been taking a bit longer than we expect, just because of the, the tagging uh, time commitment. Uh, but that will be probably sometime in the second half of the year uh, we'll, we'll launch uh, that new data set onto the platform.
0: Very cool. Well, that's very exciting stuff. And I really appreciate your time today. This has been fantastic because there are topics we we don't often talk about um, in the detail that we talked about them. So, so I do appreciate your time. Um, I know we have a huge time difference between where we are right now and where you are, but um, I think this conversation is very valuable and I think our audience will get a lot out of it. So, so I do thank you very much for, for your time participation today.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it.
0: Great. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the IoT for All podcast. I I hope you found a lot of value in this conversation today. And if you did, we'd really appreciate it if you would leave a rating or review on whichever platform you're listening to us on. Also, if you wouldn't mind subscribing to our social media or our newsletter or to the podcast itself to get the latest episodes, they become available. And if you have a guest or somebody you'd like to see featured on the podcast, feel free to shoot me an email at ryan at iotforall.com and we'll do everything we can to get them on the show. Thanks again for listening to the IoT for All podcast and we'll see you next time.